0: Hi, I'm Sam Sampador, and I'd like to welcome Mary Prankster, Ken Babs. Ken took part in the acid tests, the famous cross-country drive to New York on the bus further, and more great, great experiences in the 60s and beyond. So welcome, Ken. How are you doing today?
1: I'm about to sneeze. <laughs> I think I, I may be passing. No, here it comes again. Uh, it went, I got it. It went away.
0: <laughs> oh, perfect, perfect.
1: Otherwise, I'm great.
0: <laughs> oh, um, well, that's perfect then. A sneeze isn't so bad. <laughs> well, one question I have for you is how did Jack Kerouac's book, On the Road, affect the merry pranksters in your cross country drives?
1: Well, I don't know how much it affected us in our cross country drives, but I know when I read that in 1957, it changed my view of writing uh, totally. That uh, I really, you know. Uh, have to think about what you're gonna write you just sit down and go on the typewriter and uh whatever comes out is what it is of course you do a lot of editing afterwards but he taught me that the uh free form jazz blowing uh from the uh, inner soul of your uh, cranium from uh, the uh, toes all the way up to the top of your head and just let it go
0: so you'd say kerouac d- taught you a lot from that book Oh, God, yes. He changed,
1: like I said, he totally changed my whole concept of writing, of how to write, and, you know, how write. what it meant to write. It, it just, you know, It's like a saxophone player blowing. Uh, when he goes out, you know, he goes out where nobody's ever been before. And you can do the same thing on the typewriter. I type everything I write on the typewriter. I don't write it out longhand and then get it.
0: And I know uh, one of your, your early drivers, Neil Cassidy, he was actually the, the inspiration for Dean in that book, right?
1: Yes, he and Kerouac were best friends and uh, uh, when they were cross-country and all the places they went, Dean Moriarty, you know, South, South Paradise. Yeah, they were uh, they were uh, soul brothers uh, that uh, knew how to rap and talk. And Neil himself was a hell of a good writer, too, but he wasn't, you know... Uh, kind of guy that would sit down and, you know, novel
0: and to a well, could you tell when you met Neil that he was he was that character was that was that obvious to you
1: well I don't know that was a book. <laughs> Neil was a guy that we knew he was his own thing with us I mean he, one of his hangups uh, he talked about this was that people expected him to be South Paradise, and to be the guy that they read about in the books. And uh, he didn't like that. He just wanted to be it you all know, himself. Because, you know, he, he in that book, he was locked in as a character. But in real life, he was free to be whatever he wanted to be. Yeah, I think that happens to people when they get captured in a book. They, the people who have read the book then expect the person, when they meet him to like that person in the book. Yeah, so yeah. It doesn't always happen.
0: Well, you, you guys ended up meeting Kerouac, too, didn't you? Yeah, so when we
1: took the bus to New York City in 1964. Uh, we were staying in this apartment, a friend of ours, and it was vacant and went to stay there. And that evening, uh, Alan Ginsberg, who came over uh, to see us and everything, went out with Neil, and uh, they brought Jack Kerouac back to the apartment, and he was there for a few hours uh, also with... Uh, Alan Ginsberg's brother Julius, who had just that day gotten out of the uh,
0: nuthouse
1: after fourteen years being in the nut house. I know he was
0: a character. Well, how was it meeting Kerouac as a person? Was that was that a, a good moment for you?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we uh, were you know I was in awe of him as a writer, and uh, it was such
0: a pleasure to meet him in real
1: person, you know. And, but he was quiet. He was subdued. He uh, you know he was a and I think he... Kind of coming down from uh, uh, you know not drinking for a while, so uh, yeah, it was it was something else. It was special, very special.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I I know uh, um, your bus ride in further that that amazing, beautiful looking bus that has been historically documented. Like that is that is an amazing part of American history. What what can you what about that do you think made it so cool. Tom Wolfe. <laughs> oh, you think? The electric, the electric Kool-Aid acid
1: test. Yeah, otherwise nobody had ever heard of it. <laughs> but even without that book, just the bus itself and the trip itself and the fact that we were uh, makers at that time, uh, we, we had Keezy and I retired tired of typing. And we uh, evolved into making tape recordings. We uh, had real tape recordings, uh, staying up all night and wrapping novels. And that got tiresome. Uh, George Walker, a friend of mine, bought over a 16-millimeter camera. And we started getting on it. We got up off the floor and started acting out parts in front of the cameras. And, and then uh, we decided from then on, we were movie makers. So when we uh, 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 took the bus across country, Keezy bought a uh, professional Aeroflex, you know, the camera with a 400-foot magazine and a Nagra tape recorder that was linked to it to do the sound on, and uh, we were going to tape and film the whole trip and come back and edit it and then release it in the in the movies uh, in the movie theaters, a big kind of movie.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so would you say um, that trip? I, I know it was supposed to turn into. The movie, but was that something you were always thinking about, or did you did you just have fun and record what you did?
1: No, we uh, definitely were recording all the time. Uh, We'd stop and do things and uh, be places, and always uh, uh, filming and taping with the idea that this would be part of the movie. We never uh, lost track of that at all.
0: Well, did you have a favorite part of your bus journey? Oh. I don't know there were so many
1: uh isolated stops uh, each one had its own flavor. uh the front at this wiki up river uh in down in Arizona where we pulled off and got the bus stuck in the sand and had to stay there all night and uh, uh, took acid and, and hung around all day and all night and then a tractor came uh, Dale went out of a we had a Motorcycle on the back of the bus It was our <laughs> emergency vehicle. And he went off on the motorcycle and found a farmer who came back with his tractor and pulled the bus on and sand. And we filmed and take all that, and that was spectacular. And we went from there to Larry McMurtry's house in Houston, and that was doubly spectacular. <laughs> uh, and uh, then uh, we uh, went to New Orleans and they had a wonderful scene there, and uh, then to Florida, and then up the East Coast, the long ride on the New Jersey Turnpike with Neil Cassidy, rapid all the way, and we taking taken him all the way. Finally, into Manhattan, and uh, the streets of Manhattan, and then the apartment, and uh, then the we went to Fair, and then from there, we went up to leary's place Millbrook, and stayed there for a day at night and then headed back home
0: yeah yeah i i know i saw your um the magic trip documentary actually over the weekend and and i was watching terrible movie
1: that guy he that guy really screwed that thing up Uh, that guy made that movie really I'm sorry you ever got a hold of a film and made that movie. We made a much better one uh, called Trepid uh, Traveler and his Married Dan Dexter's Look for a Cool Place. And you can get that version, our version, from Zane Keezy, who sells it on his website, com. Oh, zcom uh, It's called The Bus
0: Trip. I'll totally look for that. I didn't see that anywhere. I was just looking for the the only documentary I could find on it, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I was that was that was a affront to us. I mean, he took that thing and made his own movie. It was it wasn't real. Mm-hmm. It was his his version. Yeah, and yeah. plus the people on the talking on that, he didn't even use the real people talking. He used actors and actresses reading lines from uh, what he had written before.
0: Oh, that's interesting. It it yeah, it's interesting that kind of a movie made its way out there if it's totally not real if if the people who actually lived it are like no that's not right
1: well i know but he had the end because he was associated with that uh world and you know able to get it done and out and uh, released and all that whereas we didn't have any knowledge about any of that i mean we were selling the damn thing we were uh making copies on vhs tapes and uh we had a white uh, uh, Intrepidtricks.com, and uh, then we had the uh, email and uh, people for could order the movie, uh, our movie, our version of a VHS tape uh, for uh, send us $20 and no, we sent, they'd order it by email, we'd mail it to them, they'd send us back $20 for it. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It was, we did real well on that. I remember one week we I deposited a check in the bank of the take a week it was two thousand dollars.
0: Oh wow yeah that's that's great I'm I'm glad your your movie for the the trip actually worked out. Is well that...
1: yeah that's still available like I say from uh, Jane dot com. zcom he sells
0: DVDs. I'll check that out yeah.
1: Yeah because you know now it's on DVD. Mm-hmm. Watch well, I said something to somebody once. I want to be in the VHS tapes, and says, "What are VHS tapes?"
0: Oh gosh! <laughs> yeah, those those shouldn't be forgotten quite yet.
1: <laughs> they are bulky. Yeah, yeah, they're
0: they're pretty big. I'll I'll give them that. Uh, yeah, I gotta them. Well, I know, like a year a year or so after. No, no, not one year. A couple years after. Your original bus trip to New York, Neil Cassidy actually died. How was, how was the effect, How did that affect you and the rest of the pranksters?
1: Terribly sadness. Which I really felt bad about it. The one thing he was off in Mexico with a bunch of other people and everything. And it, the problem with Neil is he needed a job all the time. If he had a job, he could stay in one place and, and be a regular guy and everything. But we let him get away with a bunch of people we didn't really know go down to Mexico and down there, he, you know, he with people who were taking care of him and watching over him. And so uh, it was really sad. Uh, it didn't have to happen. But, uh, it did.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I know after you guys had your famous bus rides, um, you went on and you had these acid tests, right?
1: Yes, yeah, see, because, uh, like I said, we thought we'd uh, have a movie out of this. So when we came back uh, to Mahanba and uh, Keezy's place, uh, Keezy and I got to work on, we had the, uh, the sound page transferred to 16 mag, which would match up with a 16 millimeter uh, film on a uh, spatial projector. And we he bought that projector, and uh, we would edit the sound to go with the movie, and uh, uh, we'd work on it during the week. And on Saturday night, we'd show what we had done during the week. And uh, the word got out around uh, the Bay Area there, uh, near La Honda, and people started showing up at Keezy's house on Saturday night. For this, and They thought it was one big party, you know, come get high, and get drunk, and leave a terrible mess, and leave for, for, <laughs> for us to clean up. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, decided, Keezy decided this is ridiculous, let's rent a hall uh, and do a hall. And because by then, we had met this group of musicians, and we were at a, we had a thing, uh, uh, it was actually a Halloween party at my house, uh, it was in Santa Cruz, called The Spread, which was out of ways, and SoCal on up the hill, and uh, old house, and big yard and everything, and, uh, so a Halloween party uh, we were having, and uh, all the practices. We got high and we were outside communing with the moon and the stars and uh, all that. And we heard music coming from the house. And you know, the band the pranksters. We were actually bad, We all had instruments. Uh, the Tizzy on the guitar, and the lead guitar, and the rhythm you know, uh, guitar. And I was on the electric bass. And was on the electric piano, and George was on the drums. And we never knew any songs that would do a form of music we'd call off. But anyway, we heard from the house real music coming and we go in there and these four guys were in there playing our instruments. Oh gosh. <laughs> and it was Darcy and Nation, uh, and Bobby Weir and Bill Kortzman. And we had met them before. Uh, they lived in a, a house uh, at the foot of the hill behind uh, where Kesey lived uh, in Nemo Park. Uh, and so he had met them one time where a friend of ours brought them up to his house. And when they left, someone said, who are those guys? And he said, I do musicians. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, when well, we took the, uh, there after they played there with us at, uh, at my house, and we went in places, they became the house band. They, uh, they were part of our, uh, our scene. Everywhere we went and went in the hall, uh we would set up and we'd show our movies on the wall and uh mary band the pranksters would set up their instruments at one end of the hall and the band uh would set up at the other end of the hall and we uh did a couple of those and after one of the gigs we were at this guy's house uh, uh drinking and smoking weed and talking and the guys uh and, and then from the band and Jerry Garcia took down a book off the shelf. It was a copy of the Egyptian Book of the Dead. And he opened it up and stuck his finger on the page and read, The chariot of the sun is pulled across the sky by the Grateful Dead. And all the guys in the band went, Yeah, that's us, that's us, that's us. And so from then on, they were the Grateful Dead. Up and they had been the warlocks.
0: So you were there when they changed to the Grateful Dead? Oh, yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, you know oh,
1: I—that—that was, that was that,
0: yeah—that is a a moment. It's gone down in history, I guess. I've I've read about that, and it's it's so cool to hear that from from a source.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was good. <laughs> well, it's always good with those guys. They were always, they were good pals, uh, and uh, you know we did a lot of stuff together, had a lot of adventures together.
0: Well, when you first heard them, did you know they'd turn into the amazing band that they ended up becoming?
1: No way. No, no way. Not at all. I mean, it's not surprising uh, I mean, how good they were and the attraction they had. But it all started with those acid tests and with them playing in front of that. And then uh, when we, they went kind of on their own way we went our own way. And they just got bigger and bigger and bigger. But rightly so. I mean, they were a phenomenon. I mean, not, there's nothing like them. There was nothing like them at the time when they would know songs and they would know have these incredible jams. And Jerry Garcia, I mean, he was a genius the way he played sang,
0: and all that.
1: But all of them together, they they were phenomenal. They were American. Phenomenal.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I I wish I could have heard them back in the '60s. I wish I could have heard them in general. Uh, they they Jerry passed before my time. So it it's, gosh, it's, it seems very neat to get to first-hand experience that, especially so early on.
1: Oh, I know. It was a real tragedy when Jerry died. I mean, geez, that's too bad. Why the hell? I mean, but, you know, guys, they get into shit, and, they, you know, things happen. It happened to him. that's uh, bad. Because uh, we could use him. He could still be alive. Mm-hmm. he's younger than I am. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I... I know, I guess you mentioned that um, you, you both went your separate paths, but did you and the dead meet up in, in the future after the acid tests?
1: Oh, yeah, all the time. Anytime they played somewhere and we were close by, we'd go see them and hang out with them, you know, and go backstage with them. One time I was in Columbus, Ohio, for some reason. I had relatives there, and I was on some kind of weird bus trip. And they came to Columbus, Ohio, so I got to get up on the stage with them, and i uh, see him in the hotel room and everything. That yeah, was
0: really neat. Yeah, yeah, that, that does sound very neat. Um, and I know one place that you ended up seeing the dead was the last trip that further made to Woodstock. So could you tell me a bit about your experience at that festival and why that ended up being it for the bus?
1: Well, Woodstock, yeah, that came out of nowhere, really. Uh, this... Uh we were oh I don't know what it was that was 1969 and the uh moon landing was going on and we had a set up there at Keezy's bar and we had uh TV sets, tape recorders, microphone, instruments, and we were playing and recording the uh moon landing And so we were getting the the the, the uh, talk from the moon and the guys in Houston and uh, we were playing music uh and playing our instruments, and rapping, and the phone rang, and it was this guy in L.A. saying that uh, the hog farm, like Hugh Romney's group, a huge old friend of ours, had invited to this scene that was going to happen at Woodstock, New York, and they wanted to know if we would come to that, and they would pay us for doing it, and so I said, uh, sure, and so uh, we put it together and uh, it worked out good for Kesey because uh, that summer a lot of people would come to this place like it was a commune or something. They were hanging out, you know, the rigs and the buses and the trucks and, you know, and tents and stuff like that. So uh, when uh, it came time to leave the walk, everybody, I had- Everybody came. I, I I cleared them all out. Got them all in buses and everything like that. <laughs> and so we took four buses and 40 people across country uh, to Woodstock. <laughs> and that was a hell of a trip, too. <laughs> a lot of adventures on that trip. Uh, but uh, Woodstock uh, was, was a fantastic scene. I mean, it was really something that you talk about a truly American... Uh, uh, hippie uh, counterculture, uh, big time uh, theme. That was Woodstock. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nobody ever imagined there'd be that many people there, but I mean it was phenomenal. It was one of the best American things ever. We hooked up with you. The, the new stage was uh, there with that big meadow and the big hill, and then there was uh, another hill and woods, and then it went to another uh, meadow. And down there, the hog farm had them set up, and they had a free kitchen they were running, and they had a tent uh, for people who freaked out uh, that they could cool about in this tent. And so I I had, like I said, I had four buses and 40 people. So we set up there, and uh, since we uh, we all had uh, instances of very band of pranksters and everything, we'd set up in front of the buses and play our brand of music. And um and this one time, these four guys showed up and started leaving the we, so we did this up, these four guys were playing there on our stage, and je, everybody's hell and they were a band called the Quarry from uh New Jersey or one of those places, and uh they had come to rock and they saw what was going on, and so they got their stuff out and started playing and they became the house band down there and uh the uh, hog farmers built a little stage and we had the buses behind there and we had all the speakers going and everything and that became the free stage because during the day people could come up, anybody could come up and get on the stage with the microphone and play and sing and tell stories and whatever. So uh, this one night I was over the stage and Joan Baez was playing and I was sitting on the side of the stage watching everything. So I left and the next day we were out there and i heard this voice and i was doing something i went and looked at Joan by she was on the tree stage singing <laughs> oh wow she had heard about it and come over yeah she was really nice <laughs>
0: yeah i mean you must have been able to meet and and be with all those musicians at woodstock and other festivals just based off of the reputation of the merry band of pranksters right
1: well i was able to do it because I would go on, you know, like bands would be playing, I'd get you know, on stage and hang around with them and backstage and all that. But most of the people, the other birdbikes didn't do it of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was nice. I got to talk and be friends with everybody. One of the guys I had the best time with was uh, Country Joe.
0: Oh, Country Joe McDonald, all right.
1: Yeah, that's who it was. <laughs>
0: that's fun. Uh, yeah, well... At Woodstock, um, I know I mentioned before, that was the last time that Further had a road trip or really drove anywhere, right?
1: Anything of that nature, I think. Do you because know... After that, after Woodstock, we went to Texas, to the Texas Pop Festival, and stayed there for a week and had our own scene at a lake, not at the festival itself. We were, they had a stage there at this lake, and we were in front of... The, the lake was behind the stage, and then in front of the stage was this huge parking lot, and it filled up with cars. So it was like a drive-in car movie theater, but it was uh, live music on the stage. I mean, we had the R band, and then other groups would show up and play. And the best one was at midnight this one night, B.B. B. King and, and his band came over from the main stage and played and sang on, the, on the, uh, our stage. Oh, well, that must and have been Hugh incredible. Romney, Hugh Romney you know, got his nickname.
0: Uh, what was his nickname? Wavy Gravy? Uh,
1: uh, Wavy Gravy, yes. <laughs> it was because B.B. Uh, King was uh, out in front of the stage. Wavy Gravy. No, Hugh and I were lying on the floor behind him uh, with microphones and coming in and over his and rapping with him on the stage and everything. And... Uh, at some point, uh, uh, Hugh Romney uh, said, well, I had a name, I can't remember what it was. Oh, the old booger-wooger man, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I was the old booger-wooger man, and, and, and Hugh Romney says, if you're going to be the old booger-wooger man on the floor, i want to be wavy-gravy on the floor. And B.B. King says, wavy-gravy on the floor. <laughs> out in front, he was out in front. Wow. Uh, <laughs> to the audience.
0: They,
1: they could all hear us, too. So he, that's how he got his
0: nickname. So not only were you there when uh, the Grateful Dead got named, you were there when Wavy Gravy got named.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> never thought of it that way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, after, after the Texas Festival, I'm assuming you guys went home, right?
1: Yes, we did.
0: And then why did you never drive the bus again?
1: Well, for one thing, it wasn't my bus, it was PG's bus. Mm-hmm. And uh he was ready to put it out out the pasture. And he did. In fact he well one time he took and he towed it down into the, what they called the swamp way back at the end of his property under the trees and and he let it he put it there to rust in peace. Leave it there. Mm-hmm. And God, it got beautiful as the paint flaked off it and everything uh, got real muddy and all that. But, but after Kesey died, a little bit later, his son, Zane, <laughs> decided to resurrect us because they had an offer from the Smithsonian Institute, wanted the bus there as, as part of an exhibit. Okay, so he was going to sell the bus to the Smithsonian, so he towed it out of the swamp and parked it there in the yard or the farm where it sat for a long time, and the whole thing with the Smithsonian filter and everything. So there's a big building piece had built there, and They called the bus barn because we parked the bus in there when it came home from Christopher. So uh, there and there. Oh, oh, and at that point, he had a new bus. He bought a 47 uh, International. He painted it off. So that became the new one. So suddenly we had the old further and the new further. And they both sit down side by side in the bus barn (laughs) where people come and gawk at it once in a while.
0: Yeah, well, what was your opinion on, on the bus being able to rust in peace or whatever? Do you... Would you rather it be preserved as a, like, historical artifact almost, or would you just want it to, to disappear into nature?
1: I don't give a shit. <laughs> Not my one.
0: That's fair, yeah. No,
1: whatever, it's fine. No, I think whatever's fine. No, Zane's he's the man now. It's mm-hmm. in a good place now. I mean, they're going to sit there. They, you know, they'll, they're protected. People can come and look at them and walk around and everything. It's still just like they always were. In fact, some people even still paint on the old bus. Wow. come and touch it up. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty. It's really pretty. It's, we it's... Had a tremendous sound feeling that much, too. Mm. Big speakers, and then we had uh, headphones with, with uh, microphones hitched to them, where you could hear everything in the headphones, and the microphones, and it would all come out all over, and everybody's mi- headsets and on the speakers on top of the bus and, the, and on the inside. So we were going down through uh, the streets of Manhattan and with the headphones on and we really going out to the crowd. <laughs> oh, wow. It's really good. You ought to get that movie, uh, look at it, because there's a good section there called the Streets of Manhattan, which the bus is going through. And all these people walk along the sidewalks, couldn't believe it. looking up at it and pointing and talking. Wow. And big smiles they always. They really smiled at the whole thing.
0: Yeah, well, when you see that, that bus on, on the road in Manhattan, what are you going to do? Like, that's, that's definitely something you're going to look at, right?
1: <laughs> oh, God, yes, because there's never anything like it before in the world. You mm-hmm. know? And uh, it, was, it was a phenomenon. Yeah, in fact, everywhere we went across country, it was like that. Yeah, nobody ever seen anything like it. But... All positive. Totally positive, except the cops wanted to know what we were doing, particularly down south wanting to know if we were freedom writers, come down to uh, rain hell down there. No, once they saw we were doing movie makers, and we were always we were movie makers when we were shooting this movie. And then they'd leave us alone.
0: Well, how'd you make sure they didn't find uh, the, the drugs on the bus?
1: Well, they didn't search or anything. They mm-hmm. would stop you. Know, you know, we'd get out. I know. <laughs> Cassidy, they'd want, they'd always stop us and get he'd be down there and he'd come coming off to them and they'd look at me, looking at him and he'd say, you better go out and talk to them, Babs. <laughs> so I'd go out there and I'd show them my Marine Corps ID card, you know, Captain in the Marine Corps, and they'd look at that and I'd tell them what was going on and this is their driver, you know, and I'd tell them what they're doing, making this movie and all that. Cool. And yeah, they'd send us in their way.
0: Yeah, well, that, that's such a different lifestyle, right? Going from the Marine Corps to, like, being on a almost a hippie bus that drives across the country. How did that, like, how did that even come about?
1: Well, you know, don't forget, I knew all these people. I was always friends with Keesey and part of the whole gang, you know, around mm. everything. Getting high on us, you know, that's you know, lives you know, in the Marine Corps and, no, well, I was in Vietnam flying helicopters. There's just nothing more psychedelic than that. You don't need drugs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yeah! Wow. Yeah, I mean the the bus itself is just such a cool thing. And one thing I've always wondered about it is the the way the name is spelled. It's right. It's further, but the E is a U, right?
1: That's a f up.
0: Oh, is it now? <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, it was further with an E because it led to go further. I mean, when Roy Seaburn painted it, he was a guy that did a lot of artwork on the bus, and he painted it. He said, I wanted to give it a name that would be a good luck name that would help it get through any kind of trials and tribulations or cop stops or breakdowns. It would always go further. And to go further, go ER. But sometimes, somewhere... Somebody repainted that sign and somebody filmed them doing it and they painted it you are. So then the, uh, it's either or. Mm. I mean, you know, who cares? It's like, who cares? i <laughs> there no matter what. I don't care. Like a, something by any other spelling, it's still the same Shakespeare. A, uh, something by any other name, it's still something.
0: <laughs> oh that's yeah that's so funny like you you'd think if you look at that like oh there's got to be some meaning right like it's it's something different but it, it's funny that's just someone's screwing up
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: yeah i mean but it
1: still means it, it still was meant to be the same thing yeah further,
0: but mm-hmm. they didn't know how to spell further <laughs> that's funny that's funny yeah i know you've you've mentioned a couple times over this hour um that the merry band of pranksters was just that, a band, right? And I yeah, I haven't been able to find any recordings anywhere. Is that something that you, you have out there?
1: There is a recording you can get from a place called Jackpot Records in Portland, Oregon, and the recording is called The Acid Test. Mm. This uh, one time, this guy in Portland had us come up there. He had a recording studio, and we went in there and, and stayed all night, and... Uh, Made 14 hours of recordings of the Mary Band of Friends and playing their instruments and coming on and everything. And he uh, edited it down to an LP, a 12-inch LP, just the stuff he picked out. And so it's still there. You can still get it. Uh, wow. It's kind of neat. It didn't have any uh, liner notes on it, and so um, this guy at Jackpot Records that finally got the rights to it and was selling it. Good guy. Uh I wrote liner notes for it. So now it has liner notes.
0: Oh, I'll have to check that out. That's a, That seems really, really neat.
1: Yes, it is. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I mean, you, it, it would make sense. Like, you guys are surrounded by so much music. Like, you guys would, would have to be musicians yourself, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I uh, played trombone since I was in the sixth grade. So I still play trombone. Mm. I play with all kinds of groups when they come through town and everything. You ever hear of... Uh, Terrapin Flyer? Yeah, they're from Chicago. Mm. They're super. They're a, you know, a Grateful Dead theme band that they play everything. They don't just play Breath, Grateful Dead stuff. But friends of mine, whenever they come to town, I'd break out my trombone and do a number with them.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Yeah.
1: yeah. And other bands, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. That, that sounds like a whole lot of fun, yeah. Uh, like Melvin Seals. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jerry Garcia band, right? Yeah,
1: yeah right. Yeah, that's good great. stuff.
0: Yeah, some some moment in um in the late '60s that that I figured would really affect the pranksters and your whole culture was the um illegalization of acid. How did that really affect you guys?
1: No, we were in California, LA, doing the acid tests, mm-hmm. and Kesey had already taken suicide and gone to Mexico huh. because uh, he wanted to get out of having to go to. Jail for a partner, and uh, so the night at midnight that LSD was going to become illegal, we were doing an acid test in L.A., and I got all the prices together, and I said, "Let's go here before midnight and go down to Mexico <laughs> and find peasy." So we did. We all got on the bus and left.
0: <laughs> oh wow! And so
1: yeah, we did that. We found the peasy, and we lived in Mexico. Well. well-
0: was that, like, it for acid for the pranksters? Oh, God, <laughs> God, no. <laughs> yeah, I figured as much.
1: I mean, that doesn't mean a difference.
0: Just an extra inconvenience, right?
1: Well, I, I not know. It didn't change anything. I mean, people who had it still had it. The people who were making it were still making it.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, that's funny. Huh. Uh,
1: well, Huh. I mean, you didn't want to get caught and get busted. There was some heavy heavy sentence they passed out for just a little bit of acid i got two friends uh now that i've met are uh, movie makers uh and uh they both uh got busted for uh, just a little bit of acid and were in a federal penitentiary and uh, with a 10-year sentence 10 years so Obama yeah 10 years Wow. And uh, until Obama did that blanket amnesty for all drug in the federal prison, they all got out.
0: That's that's nuts.
1: I know. I know. I couldn't live.
0: (laughs) Wow. Yeah. You must have been careful then.
1: (laughs) Uh, No, I I didn't affect nothing.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we
1: weren't doing the acid tests or anything in public anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That would make sense then, wouldn't it? (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: you, you know, people could still do that on their own,
1: whatever
0: mm-hmm. they want. yeah. And it's still available. Yeah, well, well, Ken,
1: it, you know, it, go ahead.
0: Oh no, 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 no. You, you go ahead.
1: I was just gonna say, I just went underground. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That that yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, and and Ken, thank you, thank you so much for talking to me here. Um
1: Oh, good. It's good
0: fun, yeah. Yeah, your whole, getting to hear your whole experience is just so interesting to me. And it's, you know, it's it's something that I research on my own. And just getting to hear about it from you, from someone who was on the bus, from someone who did the acid tests, you, you were there for everything. You saw so much cool stuff. And getting to hear about it from you is just so, so neat to me. So thank you so much. Oh,
1: well, that's good.
0: Well, I'm glad to do it. Bye now. Bye. I'm Sam Pador and I really hope you enjoyed that interview with Ken Babs, one of the merry pranksters who went on the the bus rides and further took part in the acid tests and did all that amazing stuff. If you did enjoy that interview, make sure to keep listening to My Back Pages on mybackpages.org and on any um, streaming service like Spotify or Apple Apple Podcasts. We'll be there. So, yeah, if, if you enjoyed it, keep listening for many more great interviews just like this one.